I'm not interested in the bad news and the terrible news and the shocking stories. I really try to create a positive world for me and hopefully around me. This week, we are brought to you by Attest. Attest is a consumer research platform that enables brands to make customer understanding a competitive advantage with continuous insights. By combining unparalleled speed and data quality with on-demand research guidance, the platform makes it simple and fast to uncover opportunities with consumer data and grow without guesswork. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a weekly podcast where I have the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing one of our industry's leaders about what they think is going to happen next. What is the future of our industry? And I'm really pleased to be on a call today with Tatiana Karl, who is Marketing Director at Visa. Tatiana, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, can you give the audience a bit of an overview? Hi, Tom. Many thanks for having me on your podcast. Well, my professor professional journey started in the end of 90s in Kazakhstan, when one of the world's leading uh, FMCG companies was opening its offices in Central Asia. And I started in business development team, but very soon moved to trade marketing and strategy, working at headquarters for Central Asia. That was the time when we were building profitable operations at Regent. And with that company, I had the chance to travel the world and work for very different businesses across very diverse geographies, like, you know, very traditional retail brands in, in Nordic or beauty luxury brands like Gucci, Dolce Gabbana in Moscow. And then once I've decided to move to Germany for personal reasons, um, this company supported me by giving me a global role in solo professional business on hair care products. This is when I realized my love for branding. We had fantastic portfolio of products with great heritage and had hairdressers as very passionate and emotionally engaged customer group. So once this business was sold to Koti, it was a good time for me to reflect what kind of business I would like to work for and where do I see myself. So um, that was about the same time when I came across a book, uh, What to Do When Machines Do Everything. It's a very inspirational book that describes how digitalization will impact our society in the next 10 to 20 years and the different stages of industry 4.0 will evolve. So I realized that after 20 years in FMCG, I would like to move to a more dynamic and more digital business that is very well set for industry 4.0. And this is how I ended up by Visa. Now enjoying my fourth year here. And um, currently I lead the newly created business unit that is taking care of activation and usage across Europe and region. Wow, fantastic. It's so interesting to hear that that story and where you've ended up. But what I would love to know is out of all the marketing tips you've been given throughout your career, what's the best one? The best one was to stay curious. Um, I'm following researching not only latest marketing and technology trends, um, but also trying to understand the cultural trends, what makes people busy, what challenges they say they have faced in everyday life what inspires them. I think for us as marketing, it's very important to understand the pain points and the moment of choice of, of the target audiences today. You know, advertising previously used to be very disruptive. If you watch TV 20 years ago, you would see commercial, you have almost no chance to escape it. And now as we move in the area of permission marketing, it is much more important for the brands to be enablers in the consumer's life 
And that's why we need to stay relevant, contextual, to get notice. So that's why I try to spend a lot of time just, you know, being curious, looking around, seeing what people do, what they live, uh, and, and, and what bothers them and what inspires them today. So staying curious makes a lot of sense. And you're not the first person on the podcast to say that. Then I think it's really important. But how do you deal with volume in that case? Because you could spend all day learning about advertising technology and not even scratch the surface. So how do you make sure you're staying curious about the right things? That's right. But again, technology is there to help, right? So just following the trends um, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, right? So I choose to follow the, the topics that are important for me right now and unfollow that the ones I'm not interested in anymore. As well, using the Google um, alerts uh, where you can really put the search on the topics that you need or the brands that you are curious. So it's, it really helps to filter. And thanks to the algorithm, the machines tend to bring you the topic that you are looking for. It's just important to to raise the hand and say, well, not anymore that, that I have enough. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting that you rely on the algorithm to help you find the right things. I mean, do you ever worry that um, the algorithm is focused on the most extreme things? You know, we've seen the bubble of you know toxicity that can really drive engagement, certainly in social. And do you ever worry that your algorithm is going to serve you up a version of the future that's the most extreme as opposed to the most relevant? Well, somewhat worried. And I think I'm trying to cooperate with this algorithm. So, you know, I'm not interested in the bad news and the terrible news and the shocking stories. I really try to create a positive world for me and hopefully around me. So, for example, talking about LinkedIn, where I'm quite active, I try to follow and support the women uh, business owners, uh, starters of great ideas and kind of celebrating their successes, celebrating their steps, hoping that my broader network will see that, you know, and, and this is how I try to create this positive story around me. I think the algorithm per se is not bad. It's just the question how people use them and how they steer them. Yeah, there's a really interesting comment I saw on LinkedIn by uh, one of our advisors, which is a guy called Simon Kemp. And he said, you know, when you when you see something that's, that's shocking or clickbaity or negative, then just don't interact with it. You know, don't like it, don't share it, don't, don't be appalled by it publicly because you're just giving that thing... F- fuel essentially so i love that idea of creating a positive world and supporting female leaders and entrepreneurs and so on so excellent what has been the best investment of your time energy and money in your career um you know when the pandemics and the cold lockdown started i had quite some time and i decided to sign up for a brand strategy three weeks sprint uh, with scott galloway I don't know if it's a Renault, a professor from New York, uh, Stan Business School. Yeah, yeah, very and very fan of his podcasts. Really great stuff. <laughs> uh, they, they are fantastic, right? They are a lot of fun. But as well, very, very inform- informative and inspirational. So Professor Galloway launched his um, Section 4 initiative to offer MBA kind of comparable experience, but in a remote and very condensed form. And that was amazing. Um, that was really this, this, um, this sprint helped me to make kind of paradigm shift, if you wish, to look at my work and the challenges I faced at that time for a very different angle. So um, a lot of people trying to create attention by claiming, you know, the brand, the branding is that, and it's all about customer experience. And what this um, sprint showed me, Professor Galloway gave a different perspective, basically. He developed a framework where you would do your brand assessment through a cycle of pre-purchase, purchase, and post-purchase. 
kind of simple and straightforward, right? But then he explained why the traditional advertising at pre-purchase phase really kind of loses that importance and the influence and why being present at purchase and post-purchase is so important. So when I worked at that time at the challenges in the project that I had, putting these lenses on and help me to realize, you know, how we would focus on the different things maybe that you never carried before, right? So, uh, yeah, tell me more about the brand being present at the point of purchase and post-purchase. I've not come across that before on this show. So obviously brands put a lot of effort into, you know, getting down the funnel. But I think what Scott Galloway is saying here, that, that actually the, the point of purchase when the, the money changes hands and then the after sell is as important. What is backing for that? Well, look, um, as I you know, mentioned before, this this uh, permission marketing uh, phase is um, right now you have a chance to escape traditional advertising. So before, if you would sit in the cinema, you would watch TV, you would be exposed to that right now probably not and he gave a great examples how brands can build branding at the moment of purchase take apple store is a great example right this is fantastic experience where you in a shiny beautiful building with a lot of technology great designs and so on so and that you know just asking question on your brand how my brand where is where is this moment of purchase how my brand is represented what kind of emotion what kind of experience you create through that and even more importantly, when the purchase is done, do you still relevant for the for the consumer? Do you build the relationship? Are you on top of their mind? And that was really eye-opening for me because I can I can give you an example from, from my personal life, right? So I'm a big fan of two brands, Apple and Audi, right? So um, Apple already said the example, they're fantastic at the at the building at the brand at the moment of purchase, but at the time when I was buying my first uh, private car 15 years ago or so, I went to the different dealers and uh, many of them didn't see in me a potential customer. Maybe I looked too young, maybe look not serious. And there was one brand that stand out. I love the design of the product. It was Audi. And I was really welcomed in the store. I was really taken seriously. And since then, I'm a big fan of, of that brand. So it was not the commercial that made me connect to that brand. It was the experience mm -hmm. that I went through. And, you know, going through the hat in this kind of examples, which brands do you have that are important for you or your own brand that you work on? And doing this mapping, doing this evaluation, how you go through the pre-purchase, purchase and post-purchase um, journey, it really shows you a lot of new opportunities, uh, how, how you can build your brand and how this brand can help to build your business further. So that's a really lovely story about Audi, but I always get really annoyed when people talk about Apple and, and Nike. Like, you know, these are, these are like mega brands that have so much money. And of course the Apple store is nice. Of course it is. Yes. I get the whole thing that they made it like a luxury experience and they put lovely people in there, but they got so much money. They got like insane amounts of money like even if that hadn't worked they would have thought of something else right like it's not going to really kill them to run a few stores however that isn't most brands right and i can guarantee that when apple were doing selling their products i don't know like 30 40 years ago that there wasn't this incredible onboarding experience and this like staying relevant like they just had to do what they had to do to to make the numbers that they need so i'm not talking from experience that's going to be a guess they were small ones basically whereas you know the brands that a lot of the people who listen to this podcast don't have apple level resources they don't have audi level resources and you know decades and decades and decades of heritage to lean on they're just a challenger brand or they're an entrant to the market so when teams are stretched thin and there's a limited budget you can't nail your top of funnel stuff and your point of purchase and your aftercare 
because you, the brand might not even be big enough to support that. So do you have a, an example of a smaller brand that's done that that isn't Apple or Audi? I can give you an example. Um, recently, I started journaling, right? So, and I'm not a big fan of writing the paper. So I researched uh, uh, in the app store and I found a beautiful app uh, that supports the journaling, again, based on artificial intelligence. And once I started to use that, it's such an amazing, very warm experience that you have, how it supports you, the question it asks, the way it greets you during the day. So this experience is really, for me, what, what creates the brand. And it doesn't invest in advertising, right? So if you're talking about Apple, yes, they had a lot of budget and they decided to invest in the stores, but they could have decided to invest in the, you know, every year in new brand campaigns. They didn't that much. I'm still amazed if you look at the businesses, regardless, small or big, a lot of companies still separate. This is the brand building and it's an invest and we have a brand team. And then we need to, to drive the growth, we need to drive the business and normally performance marketing would take care of, of the sales funnels and so on. So I think what, what this uh, framework from Sport Galloway helped is to understand how you can bring the, the brand building together with the custom experiences and trying to create these brand moments at the very tiny, small touch points, right? So it doesn't have to be, I think, very expensive experience is really about how you show you care and how you show you help people at that moment of touch points. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a lovely provocation. And every year I ask Scott to come on the show and every year he turns me down. So maybe this, this year will be the, uh, be the one. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So we're going to move now on to your shiny new object, which is performance branding, which sounds like it makes total sense. But when I try and unpack it, it doesn't make any sense. But I know you know what it is. So can you please tell me in the audience what performance branding is and why it's your shiny new object? Well, you know, people try to sometimes be provocative and say, and branding is that, it's all about customer journeys and customer experiences and so on. And I think um, that is somewhat true, but not necessary. As I went through the sprint with Scott Galloway, I started to think more and more is like, what is the right moments of breathing the brand? And can we do that uh, through the different, you know, customer journeys, because I've started to research first, right? You, there is so much material available on the customer journeys, user experience, but it's all very logical. It's all about performance marketing, sales funnels, how you create the, the conversion rates, uh, higher conversions rates, and so on. I'm still looking to find the stories and examples that will talk about how you build emotional bonding for these touch points, how you build the relationship with the client, and thus you create loyalty that you create a business, you create the brand for the stories. So for me, performance branding is, is how you do brand, not by investing in a huge TV campaigns and long movies that kind of emotional and storytelling, but how you create the storytelling of the brand when we really have a millisecond on the digital screen, 
right? When the people are very short on attention and how do you stay relevant in their lives? How do you measure that you are there for them, but create this emotional bond through those touch points? And why do you think there is a, a lack of advice about emotional bonding through the consumer journey? Well, I think people, when if you look at the traditional marketing, right, then you think about writing the brief, what the insights and what your target audience, and you try to create a beautiful movie that is a long story. And I think there is very little examples. I mentioned this app on the journal that, that creates emotional connection immediately on the spot without storing the, uh, telling the story, without showing an environment uh, uh, set up, right? So being present right here, right now in the life of the consumer, wherever they are, but being still relevant to them and emotional, I, I couldn't find much. And I would love if there are any great stories that you've seen or the network, I uh, would love to see more and learn more about that. Because we see this a lot in our work where you've got, the metrics that are available, and I think you, you touched on them, you know, conversion rate, click-through rate, view rate, view completion rate, and this is all data, but what it doesn't do is is really represent the human behind that. And I heard in a podcast the other day, a lovely expression, which is data is the shadow of people, and that there's this real drive towards these digital metrics that are really easy to put in a dashboard it's really easy to report on but it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story so how do you go about balancing the available data which is the the rates that i mentioned basically and the need to understand emotionally what's going on in the consumer's heart and that is where i'm still a big fan of traditional brand building right i think it's very easy to measure how many clicks different touch points delivered but talking to the people, asking their experience, how they feel, what they feel, what they think when they go through this experience is still key. Um, so just running to the consumer researches, going into the focus groups, seeing them, how they interact with the product, uh, how they behave at these touch points, for me is the key to build these emotional stories and trying to understand how, how, how you remain relevant for them. As I've mentioned before, kind of being curious and understanding the people's challenges or moment of joys, how you connect these touch points. And I don't know, maybe, maybe in a couple of days, we will be able to measure not only um, how many people clicked at the different moment, but what they feel and what they, you know, what, what, what their next inspirations were. I don't know, but let's see what technology brings us. Well, I had a really memorable version of this uh, podcast a while ago. Um, and what our guest was talking about a meeting that they'd had with uh, the guys that make WeChat Tencent. And what they do is they have the ability to track 45 different emo facial emotions. So basically a UX on a website or an app or a WeChat experience would change depending on fa facially how people responded to it. You know, so if you said, oh, look, here's this discount and they showed disgust, then you get, I don't know, a better discount or something like that. And I just thought that's so exciting. And then GDPR just like came in and the, the, the idea that we as marketers were going to get access to that data, I just think is such a long way off, if ever. Or do you think there's going to be a relaxation of that kind of data capture that was, that was very different five, 10 years ago? Well, with the new generation, I think there might be more openness to this kind of technology because if you ask Gen Zs right now and sorry for using the Gen Zs is um, they, they understand the, the benefits if you're interested into something the algorithm will bring you more information um, 
about it or bring the products that you're interested in. And I think at some point of time, when they see sharing some of the data, yeah, opening the privacy a little bit, how can you benefit from that, but being still in control of it? I think it's very important in this moment we say, okay, it's okay that you see me right now. It's okay you observe my reaction, but I want to make sure I know how you use it and it's good for me and not to, to manipulate me. So in terms of performance branding and your vision of the world, and say someone's listening to this and think, ah, you know, I need to incorporate Tachana's approach. Like, What's the best way to get started? The best way to get started is really to try to think how your brand comes out at the very different touch points. Just sit down, write the journey. You don't need to have expensive researches. But think if you would be the client, the customer, the consumer, what would they feel? How would they see you? Are you the right one? Are you given the right messages? Is there any other questions that they would come and ask or how you're relevant in their life? So just mapping this out and thinking, you know, this is my, repeating this, can go all the way, framework. This is my pre-purchase touch points in the, the journey. This is what happens when people, you know, considering to buy or buying it. And this is what happens after. And you will see, do you have the gaps and where your brand comes across strong or where there is no branding at all? And what is your ambition for performance branding? What do you want you to be with it in the next few years? Like what's the kind of a re- your exciting future that you want to get towards? Well, I'm trying now to um, create a couple of projects right now with our partnership and the network that we would try out uh, different journeys, different stories. We would see that we do drive the business, we do drive the results, but as well, we build the, the brand according to that. So my ambition is to have, to create this several pilot projects that we can say, well, you know what? We've managed to bring this uh, performance branding to life. This is how we measure the success and we see that it works. So um, that's why I'm looking for the inspiration, the ideas and the opportunities to, to bring it to life. So coming to the end of the podcast now, if someone wants to get in touch with you about helping you realize that vision, where would you like them to do that? And what makes the perfect outreach message to you? The easiest platform to reach me out is LinkedIn. I'm quite active there. Just uh, dropping a message, uh, contacting me on a specific topic. I think that would help. Uh, it's a bit annoying when people just send connect requests without kind of saying why, what do you want, what do they want to achieve for that. And um, if there is a specific topic they're interested or they've seen my my post, but they react and they want to exchange the ideas or maybe bring some great examples on performance branding, I would love to connect. Fantastic. Tatiana, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tom. Hi, Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T 
T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.